Hello, and welcome to My Story Weaves Our Story. This is a virtual diversity panel. So the goal behind our diversity panel was to create an ongoing series that represents and reflects the unique experiences, perspectives, and viewpoints of the people and the communities we serve. We are your hosts. I'm Ryan. I'm Tina. And we're super excited to be with you all today. This series will serve as a space for people from different populations within our community to make their voices heard and give others the opportunity to learn from their perspectives. And Tina, if you would like to give the, the explanation and description of our, our backgrounds and different panelists. Absolutely. Um, so we are mindful that um, we wanted to explore from different backgrounds and different experiences. Um, the categories or the groups that we have um, in discussion will be, um, you know, different for everyone, but this is, doesn't reflect, you know, um, but we do want to uh, recognize um, that we uh, wanted to be mindful and include um, African-American, Hispanic, LG LGBTQ, Asian, and Appalachian uh, backgrounds. Um, and we're excited to hear from the panelists today. So the idea is that we will have an introductory panel with five different panelists, as Tina mentioned. And from there, we'll seek to have subsequent episodes where we really dive into the diversity within each cultural background. For example, it would be unfair to say that Ryan represents all males who live in Virginia, right? Uh, so we will try to feature, you know, multiple walks of life, different ages, um, different gender, um, just different stories for us to, to glean some knowledge from. So the first panel that you're about to see actually features four out of our five panelists. Um, our, our fifth and final panelist, Miss Ellie Williams, actually had to join us a little bit later um, due to scheduling, and you'll get a chance to hear her story as well. Um, but for now, we hope you enjoy the story from our next five panelists. Thanks, guys. First of all, thank you to our participants for being here. We're really glad to have you all on. It's your all's perspectives that, that make this so important. And speaking of perspectives, um, why don't we go around, we'll introduce ourselves and give one interesting fact. And Gene, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, unfortunately. Yes, uh, I said, unfortunately, I get to go first. <laughs> uh, I'm happy to be here tonight to be able to collaborate with uh, the rest of the panelists. Uh, the most interesting fact about me is, is that I grew up in a civil rights family. I'm the youngest of five, uh, even though I'm 70 years old. Hi again. Thank you. Very cool. Hey, thank you, Gene, for being here. Paul, we'll go to you next. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm so happy to be here with everybody to get to hear all of these different amazing vantage points of life. And I would say an interesting fact about me is I am trilingual. I speak English, Spanish, and Mandarin. Okay, Paul, making me feel a little bit like an underachiever. Uh, Esmeralda, moving right along to you. Hello, everyone. My name is Esmeralda. I'm really happy to be here, but I'm really nervous because this is my first time that I'm going to be sharing some part of my story. 
And I'm really happy that Miss Tina encouraged me to do this. I really wanted to do this for a long time. One interesting fact of me is that I'm learning English and I know Spanish. Very cool. Thanks again, Esmeralda, for being here. Tina, definitely want to hear an interesting fact. Um, some of you guys may already know, um, and maybe you don't, but I'm a breast cancer survivor. I have, um, I'm a survivor. Uh, 2013, um, I got a diagnosis of stage three breast cancer that um, actually left the outside of the breast wall and traveled through lymph nodes and um, up to my brain. Thank goodness for uh, prevention and um, checkups with my doctor. We were able to catch it, and I am uh, cancer-free. Well, that's great, Tina. We're definitely glad that that you're you're healthy, happy, and here with us tonight. And then to finish us up, Cheryl, if you want to give your introduction and your interesting fact, that'd be great. Um. Tina, it's good to hear that you all are still, you're still here. Um, God's blessed us. My colon actually ruptured in 2018. So um, it's amazing we're still here. God's with us. Um, my interesting fact um, would be what connects me to Front Royal is uh, the Fox family was ran off of the Skyline Drive. And I just feel kind of connected. Um, you know, this is my home, no matter uh, me moving for 20 plus years and coming back in my 30s. Um, I just always feel home here. I was also a part of the Blue Ridge Heritage Project and getting the uh, chimney here in Warren County. Um. Well, Cheryl, hey, we're really glad you're here tonight. Thank you for, for being here, for taking the time out uh, again to be with us and to share your story. Um, and just before we delve in, I, I did want to kind of explain to everyone the, the structure of how we're going to be doing this panel. So we realize that it is a unfair task to choose one individual to exclusively represent an entire group of people. So think of this as our introductory episode and this is a snapshot for for us to take a look at we will have subsequent episodes where we will dive into the diversity within each category that way we can see multiple walks of life from from all all across so make sure you guys are tuning in keep an eye out for those coming up um, for tonight so the questions that we we kind of tasked our panelists with pretty simple we wanted them to tell us their story, who they are, what experiences they've had in general um, due to their background and, and how that has really shaped them into the people they are today. Um, so we also realize that it's a, a short amount of time to do that, uh, but we also want to encourage our, our guests and participants to come back um, and they'll be sharing their story a little bit more in depth. And since Gene did such an excellent job starting off with his uh, introduction, an interesting fact. Gene, I'm going to come to you first um, to share your story with us. Okay. Um, as I indicated, my name is Gene Kilby. I was born here in Warren County, Front Royal, Virginia, over 70 years ago. 
um, to James Wilson Kilby and Catherine Elizabeth Kil Osbury Kilby. Um, my father was a farmer and he also was a janitor at the defunct Aptex plant at Front Royal. As indicated, I'm the youngest of five children, three boys and two girls. James M, you probably know him um, from his dealings in Front Royal in the county uh, from the uh, NAACP. My sister Betty, who had just recently uh, finished a book called Cousins. Um, so hopefully you all will go out and buy, buy our book. <laughs> after this broadcast. Uh, my sister, Pat, who works for the Department of Education in, in Washington, D.C. And of course, myself, who basically is retired and take on some civic activities here in Warren County. Um, growing up, uh, the boys were tasked with milking the cows and tending to the crops, and the girls were uh, tasked with keeping the house together and in processing the crops. Um, my father, he, he was the president of the um, PTA of the colored schools back in the 1950s. And he was also president of the NAACP in Front Royal. Uh, at that time in the 50s, there was no high school for African-American children. Um, in order to get a high school education uh, after going to the elementary school, you would have to travel 65 miles to Manassas or to Washington, D.C. to go to high school. Um, in 1956, my father initiated, along with other citizens here in, in, in Warren County, initiated a lawsuit. Um, for the African-Americans to be able to attend Warren County High School. In 1959, that came to fruition with the backing of the NAACP and they won the lawsuit against the Warren County School Board. Uh, in 22, African-American students were able to attend the previously all white Warren County High School. Uh, it was one of the early cracks in Virginia's massive resistance. Um, during that time, um, Virginia decided to uh, close down the schools until um, they were ordered by the Supreme Court um, to open up the schools to these 22 Blacks. Um, my father's decision um, not to consent, not to continue to send his children 65 miles away from school, um, put a heavy price on our family. And we felt that price by both uh, white and black citizens uh, that opposed the idea of integration. We lived through shots in our home, as well as destruction of our farm animals and pets. Um, I attended E. Wilson Elementary School uh, in the fifth grade, and on many occasions, well, actually, most occasions, I was the only African-American in, uh, in those classes, and um, 
I attended Warren County High School where I excelled in sports and also my educational classes. I graduated from Warren County High School in 1970, and I was offered a full scholarship for football at Howard University. Um, after playing four years of, of football at Howard, I graduated with a degree uh, in business administration and also with a double minor uh, in math and economics. Um, it's been somewhat of a struggle for me um, because it was so uh, new as far as uh, integration and a lot of positions in companies. Uh, but I was able to navigate through that. I've worked for the number one corporation in the world, uh, General Motors. I worked for JC Penney's. I've also worked for AT&T in DC public schools in various construction companies uh, throughout the United States. Um, my experiences in life have been broad and long. Thank you. Wow, Gene, thank you for sharing all that with us. We really appreciate that. And to, to be vulnerable and to share share your background really means a lot. So thank you so much. And it was definitely interesting hearing about your, your father and, and your whole family as a whole. So thank you for sharing that with us. So now from Gene, um, Paul, if you wouldn't mind to share your story. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Paul. I use they, them pronouns. So typically that means when speaking about me in the third person, instead of saying he, you would say they. When I speak Spanish, I use a pronoun called ella. Um, it functions very similarly. So um, I am a gender, which is a type of non-binary. And non-binary is a type of trans. Um, so we're all pretty familiar with trans, where someone's born as one, either, you know, male or female, and then they, you know, they are the other one. They just were born with a different body. Um, now, non-binary folks, we are trans as well. It's just we don't want to transition. Um, some non-binary folks do want to transition their bodies. Um, some don't. I personally do not. Um, it's for me, um, specifically choosing the label agender means I do not identify as man. I do not identify as woman. I just, I'm a person. Um, on top of that, um, I'm double LGBTQ. I'm also pansexual on top of that, just in the broadest sense, typically means attraction to anyone, regardless of their gender, gender identity, or uh, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, so I was born in Woodstock in 1994, um, to my parents, Paul and Sheila. Um, I have two huge families. Uh, my dad, uh, I'm a third. <laughs> so, um, my dad, uh, Paul Rush II, um, is one of 12. And then my mom, uh, her maiden name, Sheila Lake, um, one of six. Uh, my grandfather, John Lake, he owned John Lake Paving in Front Royal. Um, so my mom grew up in Front Royal. My father started off in West Virginia, grew up in Thomas Brook. 
Uh, they met in the middle, and I have lived in Strasburg, Virginia, ever since. So growing up here was a little, little different. My family didn't have quite a lot of money growing up. Um, well, my parents, when, around the time I was born, my parents were on WIC, um, as a lot of families are, and little by little, our situation improved. So growing up, um, you know, went from, now, of course, I don't remember a lot of this, but growing, going from not a lot of things going on financially to suddenly I was able to have a life that my parents and grandparents couldn't imagine. And that was amazing. It's an amazing transformation to live through. Um, but growing up, I always knew I was different. Um, when people would say, oh, aren't you a strong little boy? You know, because I would love to wrestle and run around. Um, I would also want to wear dresses and makeup and different shoes and do different things. Now, of course, I was discouraged from doing this just because of gender norms in our society. Um, and over time, I grew to knew that I wasn't just strange. It wasn't just a weird facet of my personality. Now, I kind of, I repressed that a lot. Um, then around the time of when you start noticing people in that way, um, I immediately real realized I wasn't just only attracted to the opposite sex, um, which that in and of itself was a huge res uh, revelation. Um, Mid-2000s, especially in this area, was not the most opening, open and welcome place uh, for people who weren't in that norm. So definitely repressed that. Um, unfortunately, as I started to age and go through adolescence, that to a lot of emotional problems. It's hard to exist when you feel that you shouldn't, um, you know, under the rules of the society that we're in, you know, you were born male, you should only be interested in females, you should only dress this way or do these activities. So over time, that built up. And eventually, when I was about 14 or 15, I began experiencing a lot of suicidal ideation and having major issues with depression. Um, I, of course, kept this secret as well <laughs> and uh, just did my best to, to make it. Um, so eventually, I get through high school. I started out in Strasburg, went through most of the school here, and then because of the family connection to Warren County, I was able to graduate from Skyline over in Front Royal. Um, that was an amazing experience. Um, I really made a lot of friends, got super big into theater, and I finally decided to take a step that no one in my family had ever taken, which was going to college. So I left. I went to Randolph College, formerly Randolph-Macon Women's College in Lynchburg, and I wanted to study global studies. Um, I'm going to back up for a second. <laughs> um, so in 2009, I was in a program called People to People Student Ambassadors. Um, basically, you were selected by a teacher and then sent abroad. So um, the year that I went, you uh, the group was sent to China, which is where the interest in learning Chinese came from. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I actually meet my now partner um, on that trip. So we come 
come home. Uh, so then I had this great desire to learn about the world and do all these great things. So I went through college. Um, I allowed myself to be in a relationship that was very emotionally um, and sometimes physically abusive to appease society around me. Um, you know, my, my partner at that point and I, we didn't even like each other. <laughs> um, but I kept it going because it was easier than facing the truth. So I graduate college. I am ready to go out with my degree in global studies and save the whole world. But uh, that didn't didn't quite go to plan. So <laughs> um, I ended up coming home and I started working, looking at social work avenues uh, because I was really interested in helping people. And finally, uh, in 2017, I decided to come out as pansexual which was pretty big. My family was very accepting, which I was so happy for, and quite frankly, I did not expect. Um, so I was living my life. I worked for a FEMA contractor as an interpreter um, during the 2017 hurricanes in Puerto Rico. And that was a wonderful job that opened a lot of avenues for me. I um, began working as a centralized intake coordinator um, so our continuum of care here in this area, which manages like homeless services and things like that, I was pretty much on the front lines talking to folks, helping them prevent evictions or finding homeless shelters to get into or finding ways to lift them out of that situation. Um, and then the pandemic happened. <laughs> and um, yeah, things changed. Like a lot of every, like everybody else uh, went into the house had a lot of time to really do a lot of self-reflection. And that's when it hit me. I finally allowed that little voice in the back of my head that had been screaming ever since I was a little kid. I, cause I had liked wearing makeup. I didn't mind wearing dresses. I didn't mind doing things of both gender stereotypes. So it's not uncommon to see me in a full face of makeup and press on nails working on a car. It, and I decided I shouldn't be ashamed of that anymore. So I came out to my partner, um, and then I came out to my best friend, and that was an amazing experience. And a lot of those issues with depression that had kept coming up over and over went away because I was able to finally live as I want to live. Um, fast forward to right now, um, Back at the end of 2020, I decided to hang a pride flag on my porch because both my partner and I are LGBT. Our house was vandalized twice. It was spray painted with uh, anti-LGBT graffiti. And because of the neighborhood, I don't think the people, uh, the neighborhood we live in is predominantly black. And there was anti-black messaging in with the graffiti as well. And it was jarring. It was horrible. I understand it could have been much, much worse. Um, and yeah, and at that, I was also changing jobs at the time. I'm now working for the United Way, um, heading up their Valley Assistance Network Southern Expansion. Same kind of deal, just um, working with different parts of the community, getting everybody connected to resources. So. Uh, definitely been a crazy 27 years, but I, I'm liking it so far.
Wow. Well, Paul, again, uh, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us and way to really come full circle. And now, I mean, look at where you're at now with, with this confidence to share with the whole world. So that's something really to be proud of. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Uh, and so I think we'll, we'll kind of continue moving right along. Um, Esmeralda, if you'd like to go next. Yes, I'll try uh, so you guys can understand me. I have some difficulties with the, the language, but I'll try my best. So when I was 16 years old, I made the hard decision in my life to come to United States, um, trying to chase a dream that was um, learning English, getting into college. Um, when, when I was little, I grew up in a differential family. My mom was a single mother. She had five kids. Um, and then she got with the, she had a boyfriend, but it wasn't really good to us. Uh, and then to her, he was alcoholic and it was just a mess. So since I was six years old, I, I had to grow up really fast and start thinking by myself and see what I, what do I need to do to become a better person or to have a better future because I don't want to end it up like my mother. I want to do things differently. And I was with this mentality that was like, maybe it's because she didn't have the resources that we have now, or maybe she didn't you know, have someone because her mother died when she was little. So she grew up by herself and she learned how to, you know, um, like be independent of a little age. So she didn't learn about anything. Um, that's why I forgive her for everything because I'm kind of understand that she didn't have the resources. She didn't have a father that was responsible to her to learn to do everything by herself. Um, so again, I make the decision to uh, come to United States by myself. The first challenge that I come from was the language. And you know, some people, uh, sometimes they don't understand that you became from another country and you have, trauma you have all of this and you're trying to make a good way to get where you want to be and maybe help your family so i have a really difficult when i got into high school and i was trying to talk you know english or sometimes the spanish just came out naturally and I was feeling like people will laugh or things like that. And it took me a lot to get the confidence that I have now. Like, you know, you see me here. And that woman right there, Miss Tina, is responsible for that. She has helped me a lot with all my process. I have a lot of, you know, trauma that I, if I start talking, I'm not going to end. But the good thing is that, I, you know, I made it. I got a scholarship in high school. I also graduated from Skyland High School. Um, I, I have amazing teachers. 
my favorite one was the English teacher. She helped me a lot with everything. She encouraged me also because I also was having trouble with my identity. Um, I didn't know if I was confused about my sexuality and everything, but uh, I made it and I'm here sharing with you a little bit of me and I'm really proud of everything and everything I've been through has helped me to forgive my mother. I love her and yeah, I think everything that happens to me in the past made me the person as strong that I'm like, that I'm, I'm today. And looking forward. <laughs> That's everything. Well, Esmeralda, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And what an incredible story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so much to be proud of there. So again, thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you, you guys, for letting me talk. <laughs> and now, Cheryl, if you wouldn't mind to share your story, we'll move to you. Um, I was born in 1966, 20 months later, my father passed away. Um, still today at 55 years old, April, it'll be 54 years since he's been gone. And that's still a struggle. Um, it was hard growing up in second grade. I was actually called a bastard. Um, going home in second grade, I didn't know what a bastard was. And my mom explained to me that I was actually an orphan. So I went back to school the next day. I'm an orphan. I'm not a bastard. <laughs> um, and then, you know, just going through school and uh, things that, you know, you wish that your father was there for you and with you, what have you. Um, my mom struggled with three daughters um, growing up, you know, trying to work two, sometimes three jobs to make ends meet. And I wanted to join the Marine Corps because my daddy was in the Marine Corps, but um, that was when the wars were starting and I was allergic to bees. So the Marines wouldn't take me, but the Army and Navy would. And I was like, no, I want the Marine Corps. That's it. So before I hung around Front Royal, um, worked hard all my life. My husband and I actually now have a construction business. Um, we're building our own home again for the third time. Um, but there again, it's just... Um, and I, because my father passing away at such an early age, I just feel like Front Royal and the connection with the Fox family. Um, my grandmother, Fox, she passed away in um, 2001. And it was like my whole world then just crashed because she was the last of you know, my connection to my daddy. Um, and then I started getting into cemeteries. Um, and I've helped, you know, clean up some cemeteries. And then after that, that was when I got into helping um, Daryl Merchant with the Blue Ridge Heritage Project with the chimney. 
And then before they did the dedication to the chimney, that's when my colon ruptured, you know, but I still made it, was able to make it to that ceremony, um, which was really nice. And um, that's my story. Thank you. Well, Cheryl, I, I want to thank you for sharing your story as well. And, uh, you know, that's that's never easy. And, and losing a parent, I know that's very difficult, um, very difficult. So thank you for having the courage to, to share that with us. Um, and so so now um, I know Miss Tina has has a question that she'd like to pose to you all. Um, so I will turn it over to Tina. Wow, you, your stories are just amazing. And the vulnerability that you're showing is just, these stories are gonna make a difference in the lives of other people that didn't think they could make it through. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, what different experiences have you encountered in your life in general uh, uh, due to your uh, background? And uh, we'll start with, Paul, what different experiences have you encountered in your life in general due to your background? Gotcha. My mouse decided it was done, so I can unmute myself. <laughs> okay, so I would say, um, and this is both a good and bad thing, um, having to really sit down at a younger age and really figure out who I am like take everything down to its base core level and figure it out, not only in terms of gender and what, you know, what is my feelings? What is society's expectation? What is the subculture that I'm in? What is their expectations? And figuring out where am I in all of that? Um, it, it's incredibly hard to really peel back all of those layers, unlearn privileges, unlearn things, and just rebuild from the bottom up. But it's really helped me be able to be a better, um, even though I'm not that old, uh, be an elder to a lot of younger LGBT people who are going through that and being able to go, hey, like, life is worth it. And here's why. Um, and it's also just been a, an amazing experience to be that confident in myself because I, I know exactly where I'm at. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Cheryl, would you like to share? Do you mind repeating the question? Sure. What different experiences have you encountered in your life in general, uh, due to your background. So you talked a little bit about <clears throat> earlier on being bullied by people that just didn't understand your situation, but anything in your life that you've experienced um, that you feel um, was because of your background. And really quick, and I'll oh. share just something that you had mentioned earlier on, um, especially with your family, you know, being kicked off the skyline drive. Um, and I'll, I'll let this part out, but I just wanted you to have that kind of in the, in the back of your mind. Cause I definitely felt that was something really important. 
So I'll be quiet now. Sorry. Right. And yeah, well, that right there, um, basically that the government can do, and it doesn't matter what level of government, in, in my honest opinion, they can do whatever they want to. And you just need to, or you just have to go with the flow. Um, material things really don't matter. Um, I do have sentimental things there, of course, of my father's. Um, when I was growing up, we moved a lot due to um, you know, my mom being single and uh, struggling and everything. Um, we moved, I think it was 23 times by the time I graduated. But uh, one time uh, we moved and my father's uniform, Marine uniform and his uh, coffin flag was stolen. Um, and that really hurt. And it, it's just, uh, you know, it makes you stronger, I guess. Um, and seeing what my, my grandma Fox, because when they got off this, the, when they were ran off the Skyline Drive, actually the merchants, uh, Daryl Merchant, I'm sure some of you all have heard of him. Um, his family lived next door to my grandparents and they had set their house on fire already, the merchants. The Fox family was going to be next. Well, my grandma was pregnant with her first child full term. Well, she ended up tripping over a pile of rocks carrying the belongings out of the house and ended up having a stillborn baby. Well, even though there was a family cemetery up there on the drive, they had to get permission from the state, Virginia State, in order to bury my aunt up there on the family, in the family cemetery. Um, with that, with them having that battle right there, to this day, if we wanted to be buried up there have our ashes taken up there, we could still do it. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, not hanging on to, you know, things going through life and appreciating the people that are around you. Absolutely. That's a perfect segue. Um, Esmeralda? Uh What different experiences have you encountered in your life in general due to your background? Making the decision to leave my family to have a better future for me. First, I was thinking that I, I was being selfish because I have another sister who is there back in my country. Um, but I pressed like, I was thinking that I was being really selfish and it took me a lot to realize that I was just looking for a better future for me. And maybe when I'm out of setup and you know, with my college, college degree and everything, I'm gonna be able to help them. 
I can hear you. Last but not least, Jean. Would you like to share what experiences have you encountered in your life in general due to your background? Well, um, when I left Front Royal, Virginia to go to Howard University, I thought things would change tremendously for me because I wouldn't be the only African-American in class. Uh, but because of my background coming from Front Royal, Virginia, uh, I became the brunt of a lot of jokes because of uh, I was a country boy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so for some reason, people will find anything to, to, to try to mess with you about. But um, what I quickly found out by that there was an advantage of being a country boy because uh, I knew how to do a lot of things that other individuals, city boys didn't know how to do. Uh, and especially from the standpoint of, I was majoring in business and uh, we ran a farm. So I knew about business already. Um, that would probably be the most unique thing that I know about as far as uh, contributing uh, factors to, uh, from my background to my life experiences. Awesome. Great conversation. We are pulling through. We are getting right on through this. So we do have... Um, a final question, uh, and Ryan has that question. Well, guys, it's really interesting hearing all the different uh, stories and, and backgrounds that, that again, come together to, to weave this really interesting story. And my final question for you all, um, and you've listed your different experiences and, and your different backgrounds, and you've alluded to this a little bit early on already, but I want you to think like right now in this in this present, um, whether it's personally, professionally, how, how have the experiences that you all have gone through affected you in this current moment and have brought you to, to where you are? And we are going to start, well, Paul, you did a great job starting off last time. So, you know, we're looking at you again. Gotcha. Um, I would say it, my identity as being LGBT has affected everything. Um, you know, given my family's economic background, it kind of makes sense I would want to come back to the community and make sure no one ever had to go through that again. Um, but I think through unlearning a lot of more of the uh, toxic traits that sometimes can come along with the local culture, that made me really want to help people here a lot more. Um, so that drove me professionally. And then personally, I, I mean, I, I don't know who I would be otherwise, you know, um, I, I, as I was telling my friends, I cosplayed as a, as a man for a long time and I didn't like that guy. <laughs> um, so it's one of those things I, I think, my different identity that's different from the, the norm that has in, influenced everything and every step I've taken. 
Yeah, thank you, Paul. And and it's great, you know, again, that to to make that full circle journey to come back to this community and give back. It's, it's incredible. Um, Esmeralda, would you care to share next? No at all. Um, She's on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that everything that I've been through has made me the person that I am today. Because now when I'm in, I find myself in something that I, I'm like, oh, it, this is really hard. Maybe I need some help. So I reach out to people that are, that have told me that they really care about me and they want the best for me. So because of everything that I've been through by myself, now I know that it's okay to ask for help when you need it. And there's always gonna be people that genuinely care about you. That's a great answer. Thank you so much, Esmeralda. Cheryl, we're gonna come right along to you. As, as I'm like, Esmeralda, I mean, it's made me a better person um, the person that I am today, stronger, um, also more caring and thoughtful for other people's feelings because everybody has a bad day. You don't know what everybody's going through to, you know, just be kind and hope you get the same in return. Um, you know, just strive to be the best that I can be. If it doesn't happen today, then I'll try harder tomorrow. Um, that's all. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Jean, you know, we started with you at the top there. It's time for you to, to kind of finish us out here with this last question. So Jean, would you mind to, to share for our final question? Uh, can you repeat the question again, please? I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So, so basically, you know, we were talking about all those different experiences and, and you've alluded to this already, but basically I want you to think of this right now and where you are at today. How have all of these different experiences brought you to your, your current role in your life or in your job, um, whatever that may be? I think that over the years that I've gained a wealth of experiences and coming from a two-parent family, growing up on the farm, working hard, knowing what hard work was, um, playing sports, being able to set goals and to try to achieve those goals. And also something that rings in my head that my father used to tell me all the time, he would say, boy, nobody's going to give you nothing. Said, if you want something, you have to go out and get it. And my experiences with them taking me to church every Sunday, because my first 18 years, I think, it wasn't a Sunday that went by that I wasn't in Sunday school or I wasn't in, in, in some type of church. It taught me to appreciate people for who they are, 
And if the people treat you nice, you treat them nice. Um, it's in going to, to, to Howard University and taking certain classes, uh, it has given me a, a level of understanding on why certain things happen. You know, I, I, I wondered why I said, I'm majoring in business. Why do I have to take psychology? <laughs> why do I have to take principles of reasoning? Why do I have to take history? Well, those things were necessary to give you a rounded education. And I, I uh, right now I do the civic things uh, that I do, going to the uh, town council meetings, um, because for some reason, our society has gone back to a dark place and people need to speak out, need to speak out and to do whatever they can to spread love. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> wow. I just wanted to jump in to say that you are who you are. Um, you are not your environmental factors. You are your own hopes, dreams, and aspirations. And how you feel about yourself is how you move around in the world. And I'm glad that you guys have found um, great confidence in being who you are, uh, wholly, unapologetically. And thank you for your bravery today. Um, you guys rock. Yeah, I'd like to add to that, Tina, because uh, just, just for a moment, uh, it is not easy um, to, to come on, share your story, be recorded, and, and this go out to, to the public at large. So I want to say thank you also for, for having that courage and, again, taking all of those experiences, good and bad, and really using them to, to forge forward and make a difference in your community. And regardless of backgrounds and experiences, it's interesting how you all ended up on this panel tonight. And I'm really glad that you came here. So thank you so much for being here. And we are going to have more episodes in the future. We're going to delve into these topics even deeper in our future episodes. Again, thank you to all of our participants. Thank you to all of our listeners and viewers who joined us. And please stay tuned for more from My Story Weaves Our Story. So we're back. Wow, Ryan, how inspirational, how insightful um, to hear from our panelists today. Um, they've shared with vulnerability and uh, very, um, you know, it's it's hard to share in this kind of um, landscape, but um, I'm glad that we were able to hear their unique perspectives. How about you? Yeah, I was really glad to, to have the opportunity to hear from, from these guys. I mean, they did an exceptional job explaining their story, taking that time to, to be vulnerable um, and share that with us. I know I personally benefited a lot from hearing their different stories. Um, so I hope our listeners will as well. So with that being said, you all have just seen four out of five of the panelists and it would not be complete without. Uh, so last, but certainly not least, Ellie Williams. Ellie will be joining us to give a perspective from the Asian community and provide a little bit of insight into her background. And we will go ahead and turn it over to Ellie Williams. 
Well, hello, and so now we want to welcome another one of our panelists, Ellie Williams Thomasin. Ellie, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thank you so much. How are you? Well, I'm doing really well. Well, Ellie, we were hoping that um, you could give an introduction of yourself and then tell us one interesting fact about yourself. Absolutely. So uh, my name is Ellie Williams Thomaseb. I am uh, here in Winchester and I work at a nonprofit. I used to be a reporter, which is always my fun fact. So I'm happy to be back in a, in a recording. Well, Ellie, we're definitely glad that, that you're here with us. And we're definitely glad that you took the time out of your schedule to, to come on. And uh, there's not a ton of added pressure now that we have a professional reporter here or anything, but uh, <laughs> definitely glad to have you here. Um, so as we ask the, the other panelists, um, we just want to take a few moments to, to hear your story, to hear your background. Um, so if you wouldn't mind to share that with us, um, we would love to hear it. Absolutely. So, Ryan, um, I, I'm from New Jersey originally, uh, spent a couple of years up in Boston for school and work, and then moved to, to the northern Shenandoah Valley, where I said, as I said, I was a reporter. Um, but backing up to New Jersey, you know, I was born to a, into a mixed race family. My mother is Korean American. Um, my father's family is uh, predominantly from the UK, uh, Welsh, French, Canadian, general mix of, 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 of US American uh, white. But, um, you know, we, we grew up in, or I grew up rather, in a, a pretty diverse uh, liberal community up in northern New Jersey, about a half an hour outside of Manhattan, uh, called like Little Brooklyn, West Brooklyn kind of thing. Um, you know, very, very diverse. I think my, my high school was about 60% black, 35% white, 5% other. Um, so that was me and my siblings as the other. <laughs> um, but, you know, growing up in that community, like I said, it was a, a pretty liberal, you know, pretty affluent community um, and, you know, kind of stepping outside of that bubble to go up to Boston was a real eye opener um, and, and, you know, meeting lots of different people, interacting with a lot of different folks. Um, and then, you know, again, moving to, to Winchester to the Northern Shenandoah Valley was a big shift for me as well. Um, it, you know, was first, first time really leaving the Northeast for me. Um, First time meeting a lot of folks who don't share my political beliefs, which was a very interesting experience. Uh, and it became home very quickly uh, to myself and, and my wife, who is from North Carolina, but now lives in here in Winchester and, and really loves the community. Wow. Well, Ellie, that's, I mean, what a, what a wild kind of culture shock, you know, coming from from such a different community to, to this one. Would you mind to elaborate on maybe maybe some of the different experiences you had, you know, coming to this area um, and maybe some of the different lessons that you, you brought from, from up north to here? Um, and, and again, just expanding on some of those different experiences. Absolutely. Well, I think that one of my favorite sort of Winchester experiences um, was, was the the where are you from question. And I, and I say that because as a, as a mixed race person and also as, a, as an Asian person, there's often a narrative um, for us of this concept of a sort of perpetual foreigner. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of Asian Americans will talk about the fact that they get asked, where are you from? No, like, where are you really from? You know, because you can't be from here. Um, and I, I, 
was in a store in Winchester and was asked, where are you from? And I was kind of gearing up for this long explanation of, oh, my grandfather is from Wales. My grandmother was adopted, like all this stuff. And it turns out the woman's like, and, you know, I said, I started real slow, you know, I was born in New Jersey and, and, and raised in New Jersey and whatever. And the woman's like, okay, that's all I need to know. I just, she, all she wanted to know was like, you are not from Winchester. You didn't go to school in Winchester. And I thought that was the funniest situation because, I, you know, my lived experiences of sort of, you know, dealing with these sort of microaggressions, right? It was never overt racism, but it was always these little microaggressions of, of sort of, you're not from here. Um, it, it was so distilled into this moment of like, that was totally not what she was asking. She just wanted to know, like, are you from Winchester or not? <laughs> and I thought it was like, it was this hilarious moment the first year I lived here. And, and it was just such an indicative thing to me of like, this is a really tight knit community. And that's all she was asking was like, are you from my community or not? Do, should I know you from somewhere or not? <laughs> your predictive brain and your lived experiences of people asking the typical question of where are you from kind of kicked in. Um, that's Absolutely. And I think that oftentimes we can carry those experiences, right? Those, those little moments that we sort of put on this armor to prepare for these things. And it can just be totally blown away when you have a conversation with somebody that doesn't go the way you expect, which I think is one of the things I loved so much about moving here. And, and it, it did, you know, moving to the South. Um, and I know that some folks in here are like, well, but not really the South. I'm like, no, you like, they're you know, like mid Atlantic. I'm like, no, no, no. Like compared to where we're from, like where I'm from, like this is the South. Um, but, but it really, I mean, there's so much of those sort of personality things, you know, uh, moving here, the grocery store clerks want to talk to you and, and, and genuinely want to know how your day is going. And I'm like, why are you talking to me? You know, nobody's going to talk to you from the North. Um, so, you know, having those little moments of, of sort of cultural difference uh, was, was really a, a nice surprise. It took some getting used to, but, you know, those experiences, and, and this is not to say that, that other folks' experiences with racism or homophobia or things like that don't exist because, of course, people do have those experiences. Um, but but it's not been my experience in the South typically. Uh, and it's been a really sort of nice breath of fresh air um, versus, you know, what my friends have experienced being in cities, what I've experienced being in cities um, as, a, as a queer woman of color. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us, Ellie. And it's it is great to hear, you know, about the the kind of warm welcome that you received on a community level. Um, that that's a nice thing. I think that can definitely give us hope, you know, thinking forward. You know, um, it, it's good to know that we we still have that community. Um, so, well, I will turn it over to to Miss Tina for for the next question. Okay. Um, so Ellie, um, can you uh, share with us your different experiences um, that you've encountered in your life, you know, in general, um, due to your background and how that has helped uh, to shape you both professionally and personally? Absolutely. So, you know, being, it's kind of funny because I, I've connected later in life with a lot of other, um, you know, queer Asian women, because uh, that's a big part of my identity. Um, but there's often a narrative around that, around um, around being LGBTQ in, in communities of color in general. Um, and I didn't necessarily have that same experience because as I mentioned before, my mother was adopted, uh, was raised by a, a Norwegian Irish American family. 
Um, and so some of those sort of stereotypes and, and situations that folks find a lot of times in immigrant communities was not something that, that she faced and that I faced because, you know, she was a very Americanized uh, immigrant. She was adopted when she was six. Um, so, you know, it's been in this interesting experience kind of reconnecting with folks who have all these lived experiences as uh, as immigrants or first-generation Americans um, and, and not really identifying with all of them because that, that just wasn't my experience. That said, it also led to a lot of feelings of isolation. Um, you know, there's there can be a sense that when you're mixed race, especially that you don't necessarily belong to either party um, or that you have to choose one or, or, or something like that. And actually one of my own mentees who is also mixed race put this beautifully in it. And it's what I've already always taken is that I'm not 50% of one thing or 50% of another. I'm, I'm a whole of both. Um, and that's, that's been a, a great, thing for me to remember as a, as a mixed race person of just, you know, you don't really have to choose one or fit in a box or things like that, because that's not, that's not how people work. Um, mm -hmm. But I also think from a, a, you know, life experience and professional experience, sort of feeling like you're straddling between those two identities in a way, um, you know, feeling like you come from a really diverse background. And, and I do, you know, I, I feel like I do come from a diverse background. My mother has a lot of diversity within her family, um, you know, disability status versus able-bodied folks, uh, racial, ethnic, um, that, you know, we have a couple of folks in the family other than myself that are LGBTQ. And, and so it gives you the opportunity, I think, to accept people for who they are and where they are um, you know, moving here, meeting a lot of folks, for example, who don't have the same political views as I do, gave me an opportunity to step outside my comfort zone, being a reporter and meeting with people and having to say, yes, I can understand your perspectives. You're, you know, it, it shatters a lot of stereotypes that I think and, and preconceptions that we all carry all the time. But doing so is incredibly important. And I think that we've seen that, the political landscape that our country is in at the moment, and sorry to dive into politics, but, but the political landscape our country is in, right, there's a lot of division. I think it's, it's easy for any of us to say that. Um, but I think that if we are going to overcome that, we have to be able to see each other as people and not as, you know, as, as Ryan mentioned earlier in our conversation, these, these sort of faceless entities that, that we don't agree with or, or we don't know, right? Because I am your neighbor. Um, I, I am your community member. And I hope that folks will see me as a person in the same way that I see them as a person. I love that because seeing people as human is really um, the ultimate goal that I would like to see. Um, you know, not the otherness or, you know, just seeing people for, for the for who they are, for their souls, for their character, for their contributions, for their philanthropic um, you know, efforts, you know, I'd love to get to that. And I love what you said about, you know, not, not seeing these other pieces, but really, um, what's inside, you know, that's really beautiful. And I, um, relate to growing up as a child 
um, uh, of mixed race and I never fit in with people that had darker skin. Uh, and then because I w had some color, um, people that were Caucasian um, did not like me because I had some color. So I never knew where I belonged or if I belonged. Um, and I would have people say, you just don't understand you know, I'd have uh, darker uh, people of darker skin say, you don't understand how tough it is for me right now. And I'm saying, I do. I'm, I'm here in the same Section 8 housing as you are, public assistance and food stamps and, and, and these kind of things. And I'm in the struggle with you, but sometimes because of my lighter skin, it was thought that I had a, a easier path or I would mm -hmm. make it in life because I had these easy ends um, and it was not the truth. Um, so at any rate, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I have to say, uh, I'm always just really kind of blown out of the water and moved how how much courage I think it takes to, to share that in a, in a public platform. And, you know, like like you said, and I think that's a great point. And, and one of the, the whole points of this entire panel, right, is to, to give a give a face, give a name. Um, and yes, these these people, everyone, right? We're all in this community together. So, Ellie, just just to build on what you were saying there, um, and, and kind of thinking about the the different lived experiences that you've had, and some of the different um, moments that you've mentioned, I guess I was just curious how you feel um, those experiences and, and your background have kind of come together to basically shine through in your professional life in the relationships that maybe you have with your family and friends or or in general um but yeah i know i'm throwing you a little bit of a curveball there so yeah i think that that it really comes down to always wanting to lift up the other the folks around me um because i i realize that i stand here where i am on the shoulders of the giants that came before me um through, through my family, through the community that raised me, uh, through the mentors that, that helped me. And so it feels like I have a responsibility to help try and break down some of those barriers that are in place um, to help the next generation and to help folks where we can now, because it doesn't really, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I think that there's a reason that we're here. Um, and this is the the task that we have is to try and make a world that works for everyone where people have an opportunity for success, have an opportunity for quality of life um, and have an opportunity for happiness ultimately. So, you know, whether that is working with the disability community, which I do now, uh, working with youth, working with the LGBTQ community, working with the Asian American community, you know, what, whatever, um, that is the responsibility ultimately is to, is to make sure that folks are able to live the best life that they can. And that's kind of the, the crux of it, I think, and, and where I think the, the diversity aspect comes in, my lived experiences is really, it comes down to, you know, we all sit at the intersection of all the identities that we hold and what can we use those identities? What can we use those lived experiences to build better? Very well said, Ellie. And I, I definitely really appreciate you again sharing those, um, you know, those different experiences. And it's interesting, um, again, to note how how you know paying it forward and 
doing doing your best for the next generation. I really praise, you know, a nice homage to those who came before you. So I just really respect you saying that. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to come here. Um, and, and like you said, you know, each member of the community, no matter where they live, where they're from, their background, you know, the whole idea behind this, their, their story comes together to weave our story of this community. So I can't thank you enough for, for being brave enough and vulnerable enough to come on here and to share your story with us. Well, hey, Ellie, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate you being here this evening. Tina, thank you so much for being here this evening, and I hope you all enjoyed. Awesome. So, you know, as we're, you know, kind of marinating on some of the stories that we've heard, um, while I'm, I am um, just thinking about my own experiences and how my story weaves our story and how the concept really is important in creating a cultural um, awareness. And so uh, it took a lot. It took a lot for these panelists to share. And I'm so grateful that they were able to spend uh, their time with us. Uh, and I do feel that, you know, this is a start. It's not, you know, the end all be all of conversations, um, but this is a great start. And I'm really glad uh, to be a part of this uh, discussion. Well, Tina, I know it's no surprise, but always a great time working with you. And I'm so glad that we were able to host this together. I think your point about awareness is super important, right? That's half the battle. Um, and that's a battle that I'm glad we are undertaking now. So I hope you all enjoyed what you've heard here today. If you missed out or you want to show your friends or you just want to watch it again, make sure you check out our website, nwprevention.org. You can also catch up with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and that's NW Prevention. Thank you all so much for joining us. Stay tuned for our future panels, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again, guys. And as we wrap up, I also want to um, share that if you or someone else would like to share your story or join in this conversation, um, we invite you. Uh, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. So this is your host, Tina, and I'm Ryan. We were glad to see you guys tonight. We're signing off for now. Until next time. Thanks, guys.